Aaron Bronstetter here for the TSN MMA show. And for old time's sakes, we're going to do one episode this week because Joe Valtellini is in Las Vegas to corner Malcolm Gordon, who's taking on Suma Derji this weekend for UFC Fight Night. So a bit of a shorter segment with him. So we're going to put this all together in one show so that if you're listening south of the border for Thanksgiving, you can get it all in one place. Why not? And if you're listening elsewhere, north of the border here in Canada or elsewhere in the world, kudos to you. You might not have a day off for Thanksgiving, but hopefully you enjoy this nonetheless. After my conversation with Joe, you'll hear some interviews that were conducted this week with the two main event competitors for this week's UFC Fight Night, Curtis Blades and Derek Lewis, as well as one of the combatants in the co-main event, that would be Anthony Lionheart Smith, who I love speaking with, one of the best interviews in the sport, very forthright, very honest, always enjoy speaking with Anthony Smith. And then I'll spend some time with my colleague from TSN, Robin Black, who did a fantastic feature for us uh, at TSN this week. Uh, it's the anniversary of Roberto Duran's famous No Mas moment 40 years ago, 1980. Wow. So Robin did a feature on the psychology of surrender. Why some athletes decide to, you know, not, no longer continue during a fight. I hate to use the word quit, but decide not to continue during a fight. And why others will fight through the most adversity possible and uh, refuse to, under any circumstance, walk away from a fight until it is deemed over by the necessary officials. You can check that out on tsn.ca if you're in Canada, tsn.ca slash UFC. So we'll start with my interview, <clears throat> sorry, my segment rather, with Bazooka Joe Valtellini, followed by interviews with Curtis Blades, Derek Lewis, Anthony Smith, and Robin Black. Happy Thanksgiving to those in America and to those elsewhere. Enjoy the podcast. Here's my conversation with Bazooka Joe. Welcome to the TSN MMA Show. I'm your host, Aaron Bronstetter, joined by Bazooka Joe Valtellini, who's out in Las Vegas with Malcolm Gordon, who's competing on this weekend's card for a, a, a flyweight fight against Suma Derji. How's Malcolm doing? Uh, he's good. This is, uh, this is the time where we don't even care about the fight. It's all about making the weight on the scale, making sure you know we get our last little workouts in. But I think the, the main thing is he's confident. He, he's ready to go. And since that last fight, he's really wanted to show how good he actually is. And the problem was in our last fight, we didn't have a training camp. We've been off for four months. So uh, it wasn't a good performance for us. So he's ready to show um, that he thinks he's the, and I believe that he's one of the top in that flyweight division. So let's see uh, the performance he can do. And just some exciting stuff I just saw before coming in here. Uh, Dana White posts his little clips of fights to watch out for. And uh, he thinks Sue and Gordon's going to be the one that everyone should watch. So hey, that's exciting for go. us. Yeah, that's, that's great news. That's a good vote of confidence uh, from the big yeah. boss. Uh, exactly. I mean, I think that he might be, you know, being a little bit prejudiced given that Malcolm's a member of the bald community, but you, you just never know. That's what it is. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I mean, the thing is, man, like when you watch that little clip, they're both finishers. You, you know, Sue's really good on the feet where Malcolm's a, a good finisher on the ground. But working with me, you know, hopefully his striking uh, can show and put that wrestling and grappling together. He's been working well with uh, Mike Imperato, who's, a, you know, Canadian mixed martial artist. So, that's bring, uh, brought us a lot of good confidence when it comes to grappling as well. I noticed he's a big underdog on the card. And uh, I think the reason for that is, as you mentioned, he took that last fight on a uh, short notice camp against a much bigger fighter who was also supposed to be on this card and has now uh, been moved to another card, Amir Albazi. That's who we fought last time, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Amir Albazi, uh, he uh, ended up, his opponent had some visa issues. It wasn't COVID related, yeah. but uh, yeah, I mean, 
that was a good fight for Albazi as well. But I think that fight got moved to January. So uh, who knows? But it's all about Malcolm. So hopefully we can get another rematch with Albazi in the future to show our, our real talent. Yeah, or Albazi just stays at 135. Malcolm just keeps going through people at 125 and he sticks around. I mean, I, I was that. surprised that he was that big of an underdog uh, looking at the lines. But like you like you said, again, it's it, like I think the last outing is what people are basing it off of, which is just not yeah. representative of how good of a fighter he is. Yeah, so if people want to make some money, that's uh, that's the bet to go for. Oh, well, there you go. It's an official play from uh, Bazooka Joe Valtteri. There you go. Yeah, I, uh, Slightly slightly I, biased, but it's a good play. I did my three videos for uh, TSN Edge, and uh, I didn't have Malcolm on it because I've got a bias, right? I don't want to I don't want to okay. pick something with a bias. I think there's great value on Malcolm, but it's just uh, I, can't, I can't go forward and say, like, hey, exactly. take this guy. Yeah, but, exactly. You know, I would have to give a disclaimer off the top saying that uh, you co-host a podcast with me and that, mm-hmm. that you're his coach. Yeah. And you believe in me. So I then you automatically you. believe in Malcolm. So that's what it is. Yeah. A lot of people come up to me. He's like, well, if he's a product of Bazooka Joe, well, he's got to win for sure. So I like that thinking too. Yeah. That's a good vote of confidence as well. So uh, yeah. you, this, uh, this coming weekend, you got Derek Lewis, Curtis Blades in the main event. Uh, this is, I think, probably going to be a, an easy one for Blades if he's able to stick to the game plan and, and doesn't get hit. I mean, that's basically what it is. You look at the Cormier fight as kind of a... Uh, a template for beating Derek Lewis. And you also realize that uh, Blades is a much bigger guy than Cormier, right? So if he can, Blades will probably be the bigger, bigger fighter because from what I understand, Derek Lewis is down to like 250 pounds. He's looking trim coming into this fight. That's what he wanted to do going into this uh, particular fight. Yeah. I'm actually got to see Curtis Blades walking through the, you know, the hotel. We have to do daily temperature checks. So uh, he was just in front of me, and man, he's a big boy. He is a big I mean, man. He's a, he's a tall guy. He's a, definitely a big man, seeing the size of his legs, and he's thick and strong. So I haven't seen Derek Lewis yet, but I'm actually I'm curious to see these big heavyweights and the size they are. And um, I just I think Curtis Blades, and you've been calling it out for a while. I think uh, he puts it on Blades. So it's a it's just disappointing. I mean. This fight trip has been so upsetting for me almost because I was actually having some reflection on what the UFC was before all of this COVID stuff. And I just, it's so weird. It's, it's honestly really weird to see how things are going. It's actually been a, a little upsetting, to be honest with you. Why is that? Elaborate. It's just, uh, no, it's more of uh, the reflection on seeing like, these guys. And when I cornered the guys like Antonio Carvalho, Mitch Cagnon, like, you got to be around the excitement, the atmosphere, the hotels with fans in there, people wanting to get autographs and signings. So I almost feel like these fighters who are now getting into the UFC are getting um, – they're losing that fun part of what, you know, we kind of work for, that attention, that popularity, the attention, the fans, uh, the autograph signings and stuff like that. And it's just not there for the guys, and it's just not that – it loses that little bit of edge and excitement for people, I think. Yeah, I think that's fair to say. I think that uh, it's one of those things that you just kind of take for granted. Like everything else mm-hmm. in your life, you take for granted, and then this comes <laughs> along, and you uh, you realize that, you know, sometimes things can change. Yeah. It's just so weird. Like I'm saying, oh, there's Curtis Blades, and there's just by himself, no one there. I mean, the fighters might like it, but uh, I just think it takes away from these fighters who dream about coming into this UFC, and they don't get that realistic look of what fighting in the big league is all about Did you say so hi to Curtis? that's kind of what i've been reflecting about here in quarantine did you say hello to curtis when you were in, behind him in line I, I usually just give everybody little waves mm-hmm. and it's kind of weird now too because the thing is you might recognize someone like for example i got to do a little bit of training got to meet anthony pettis this weekend uh last week 
And I mean, I'm just, my mask's on, his mask's on. I walk by and I'm like, hey, Anthony. He's like, hey, and just keeps walking. I mean, we know each other through social media and stuff. And then I take my mask off. I'm training with Malcolm in a corner. And then he's like, that's Bazooka Joe. And I was like, he's like, I can't believe, like, I didn't even know. Like, we're all in masks. We don't know. We can't recognize each other. Everyone's mumbly with the masks on. I don't understand. So it's it takes away again from uh, meeting uh, these guys that you look forward to seeing and talking and hanging out with. Yeah, unless it's Curtis and uh, Derek Lewis. I think the mask is – they're pretty much a dead giveaway regardless of the mask. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That size. But uh, I would like to meet Derek Lewis. I mean, that's one of the guys. I think his personality is character. And no matter what, I'll always watch him um, just to kind of get that excitement. Well, I, I just got an email from a new company. I think they're called like Maskless or something. And what they do is they take the bottom part of your face and they like design it like exactly – and put it on a mask so that people will, will they'll see your full face. No, no, see, that kind of works. I'm actually, I, I had Malcolm uh, ripping me today. These masks, I mean, in Toronto, I mean, it's, I don't have to wear it as much. I don't go out, I'm more at home or I'm at the gym by myself, so I don't wear a mask much. Next thing you know, my lips are all chapped from the mask. I'm getting all these pimples around and Malcolm's been making fun of me. My perfect skin is not perfect anymore. It's all rashy and I'm getting pimples. It's getting me out here. It's all part of the sacrifice, Joe, of uh, martial arts. Yeah, all the sacrifice. I don't. I want the perfect, nice skin. I don't want no stubbly, bumped skin. Come on. <laughs> it's not what you're I'm about. known for the nice, clear, no hair. Come on. So, uh, so. for this weekend's card, is there anything that, that that catches your eyes in terms of the uh, the fights? I mean, obviously the main event, uh, Blades and Lewis and the co-main. I think Anthony Smith versus Devin Clark's a very interesting fight as well. Yeah, I was going actually through the card and I was looking at some of the guys I just like to meet who I'm fans of and Anthony Smith is one of them. Um, and hopefully he's with uh, Mark Montoya so we can make, get a nice, uh, easy introduction to each other. But he's someone I always look up to. The, I feel he's uh, someone who talks well, educated, family man, fights hard and well, um, true warrior spirit, do- doesn't care who he fights. So last minute, full camp. So he's someone I definitely would like to meet. Well, uh, I'm going to be speaking with him in about 30 minutes' time, and I can just mention that you're down there and you'd like to say hello. Yeah, that would be good, too. I mean, I saw me and James Krause have already connected through uh, Instagram here, so we're going to try to get some training in today or tomorrow. And is James so that's with uh, another as well? cool. Uh, I'm not too sure. I know he has uh, a Gina Mazzani. I don't Gina know how to pronounce oh, I thought her Gina last was, a, was in Las Vegas. Okay. Uh, yeah, but he's with her and he might have one more, I believe, but he's not on the card. Yeah. It was supposed to be, I think Sean Woodson, right? Right. Yeah. Sean Woodson. Yeah. What ended up happening to his fight? I forgot that that was, uh, that was I don't know. On the card. Yeah. He yeah was I don't know what happened looking there. looking forward to seeing him too. I remember. Yeah. I mean, been following uh, him since his debut and I'm, you know, I was excited to meet him, but he's not there. I've met Gina in, uh, Abu Dhabi and James, we've met a few times. So yeah, other than that, um, not too many people other than maybe Rachel Ostevich for other reasons. But uh, other than that, I'm, it's, I'm sure uh, she'll be around for you to say hello it. to. Yeah, that's it. I can have a little crush on her. It's okay. Oh, I mean, I could tell her that you can leave that to you. That's, that's a you thing, Joe. I mean, this, that doesn't have to be brought <laughs> into this atmosphere, into the podcast sphere. Oh, I was, ho- I was hoping since you're the married man between us, you can offer me some insights on, you know, how to approach Maybe uh, on, Rachel on Twitter, since he I can send her a note and be like, hey, Joe Valtellini would like to say hello while he's out there. He's cornering Malcolm Gordon. Okay, there we go. I don't know if That's, I'd be comfortable doing that, but I could, I could actually, like, I could <laughs> no, physically do it, I'm but I, I'm not sure if I would feel comfortable doing that. 
I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Just playing. One other guy on the card I'm really looking forward to seeing is Miguel Baeza. This guy is a real up-and-comer and, and uh, facing Takashi Sato. Uh, he had a great outing last time against uh, Matt Brown. You know, um, that was kind of his coming out party because, you know, they, they gave him a good name like Brown. And uh, I, I expect big things for him. He actually trains at the MMA Masters in Florida with uh, Colby Covington and some other fighters out there. So uh, he's a guy to keep your eye on, I think, for this week, uh, this weekend's card. He's a really solid fighter. Yeah, I saw him in the elevator. He looked like a big guy, too. I mean, for welterweight, I, I mm-hmm. felt he looked big. Yeah, very to long. To be honest with you, he looked like a big, solid. So, yeah, no, I'll take it. I'm, I was uh, actually looking forward to see that Amir Albazi's opponent. I heard he was uh, some pr- pretty good. Juma Gulab's good. Uh, yeah, I think he lost his, uh, his debut, but he's a, he's a strong fighter. I think he's going to be uh, somebody to watch also in the UFC. Um, what do you think of this Mike Tyson, Roy Jones Jr. thing? Like, they're fighting this weekend, obviously, oh. but the rules for it seem like it's going to just be a total waste of time and money for those that are invested in it. I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of mixed on it. I mean, I know that I, I have a good feeling it's going to be a money grab. Like, if we're expecting to see a, a popular, like an old school Mike Tyson, an old school, you know, Roy Jones Jr., we're not getting that. And I think <laughs> with all these rules of no knockouts, and I think it's going to be messy, and I think we're going to. We're going to see a pretty crappy fight. I, I just I can't imagine it being great. I can't imagine it being exciting. Um, I just read an article literally just before we started talking that uh, Mike Tyson saying, regardless of what the rules are, I'm going for the knockout. So we're still trying to get people hyped up about it. But, uh, yeah, the, the commission won't allow it. If there's a little bit of cut, they're going to stop it. They're, I don't know. What are you taking from it? Yeah, I mean – it just has disappointment written all over it, doesn't it? I mean, oh, you look at the rules everywhere. for it. It's basically, a, they're, they're advertising it in terms of the commissioner saying it's basically a, star, a, a sparring match. Like, it's not it's yeah, an exhibition. Hard sparring. Hard sparring. I don't know. I mean, well, but what are we supposed to expect? These guys are, I mean, Titans, what, in his 50s now. Uh, Roy Jones yeah. at least has boxed in the last five years, if I'm not mistaken. But I think that, you know, it's one of those things where it looks like it's just going to be it's going to get stopped like early on and everybody's going to kind of walk away disappointed. And apparently the pay-per-view numbers so far have been really good. And I understand that it's Mike Tyson, but I just feel like we're kind of getting set up for disappointment here. And I mean, eight rounds at 54 years old. I mean, even if it goes the two minute rounds, but still, I mean, it's still a lot. Yeah. And I don't even think they're going to declare a winner at the end. Is there? No, no, they're both getting belts. They're both getting black lives matter belts at the end. Okay. Well, I don't. I don't mind the the message, but let's. Uh, they could at least pick a winner. Like at least make it somewhat of an of an exciting I mean, fight. With, with that already, when you know you're not going to get a winner, there's like no knockdowns. There's no cuts. Like, what are we to expect here? Like, you know what I mean? What are we supposed to be? Like, what are going into this? What's the best case scenario? I don't know. Did they just but, abandon okay, the, the under- rules and and like swing oh, for the fences in the first minute? I don't know. That that's probably the best case food. scenario. It's just like they, they just come out swinging and one, one of them gets knocked down and they call the fight. Then at least, at least we're seeing I'd, I'd prefer that. Yeah, that's, that's what I mean. I that's what I think that. the best case scenario is with these two guys. Yeah. Or, or something or someone get rocked and see some sort of form of excitement. But I think it's going to be a slow-paced fight. I mean, in, in the clips we see of these guys training, they're, they're put to music. They're cut. They're angled, you know. So it makes their pad session look a lot more aggressive and, and a lot more – you know, better than they actually are. But I don't know. I've seen Roy Jones, like, shadow box, demonstrate. He looks still quick and fast, and I'm sure there's still that genetic. You don't lose it. It's like riding a bike. But to be able to keep at a pace and the level that people expect, it's impossible. I genuinely believe it. But I'm hoping at least the undercard. I mean, you got to think Jake Paul. 
he has no what no boxing experience and they're allowing him to probably fight to knockouts but i don't know about jake so i mean they're letting them go to knockouts i mean you would think that at least if both of these guys agreed to it let them go let them have some fun yeah well i don't know maybe they should have done it in the middle east or something but uh Let's, uh, let's move on to a fight that only one person was able to walk away with the belt this past weekend. Davison Figueredo beats Alex Perez. That, I mean, Figueredo looks like the real deal. He's going to be tough to stop. Like, I think the world of Alex Perez, I think Alex Perez is an incredible, well-rounded fighter. And uh, th- that transition into the, the guillotine choke was unbelievable. Like, you, you don't see stuff like that very yeah. often. But speaking to a lot of the, uh, the jiu-jitsu guys, um, they were saying it was just a, a really immature mistake from Perez. I mean, he was kind of jumping to things a little too early. But, uh, I mean, I, I think it was more of a mistake, and we didn't really get to see full Perez's full, you know, you know, how good he actually is. But let me tell you, I think Figueredo is going to be a real, real, real big threat. I think he's got some good star power with him, even with his personality, his mean mugging, his shape. Um, I think it's a tough, uh, a tough look. So if Malcolm's going to climb his way up slowly, we got a, we definitely got a monster at the end of the tunnel. Yeah. Well, I mean, we'll see, we'll see how long it lasts. And in less than a month, he's right back in action, <laughs> taking on uh, Brandon Moreno. They turned that one around. You know, I knew something was up because they had just added uh, Ferguson versus Charles Oliveira, which is like one of the best fights you could make right now. I think I love, Unreal. I love that fight. Unreal. But they've added that, and they already had Piotr Jan and Sterling. And I was like, well, why would they have to add? another title fight maybe they just want to end the year big but like why turn these guys around so quickly they just fought and then of course it comes out that Piotr Jan had to withdraw from the fight so now you need your new main yeah. event you need a title on the line these were the only ones probably available I saw the video of Figueredo walking into Dana White's office and being handed a bag with $50,000 in bills in it he was very excited about that but uh, oh, yeah. anyway, he said he messed up he should have given him a bonus and didn't and a lot of the times these guys get discretionary bonuses yeah, I couldn't believe that when when I saw because afterwards I was listening to who got the fight of the night. I'm like, how do you not give Figueredo a title fight, main event, gets the submission, and not a little bonus? So I'm happy they gave him something. They gave him something. something. This is well deserved. And now he's for sure. And now he's fighting up again. And Moreno's he's a tough guy, well. man. Like Moreno is an awesome fighter. I I always knew that Moreno would get to this championship level. He's just a, a fighter that keeps evolving, keeps getting better. He's a fun fighter to watch, marketable. Um, I can't wait for that one. I actually, I'm really excited for that fight. Uh, I haven't really even had a lot of time to digest that fight and, and think about how it's yeah. going to go. But this one looks like it's probably going to be more contested on the feet than anything else. Yeah. Well, now, what happened? Because I was confused when I was leading up to fight week, because I've been keeping an eye on this flyweight division now, extra carefully. But Figueredo was posting things about saying he was on weight early, he was eating pizza, and then apparently he had trouble afterwards or something like that. Uh, I don't know what happened. I didn't see much about his actual weight cut. Um, I do know that he cuts a lot of weight to get to 125, and he's going to have to turn it around really quickly. That could be a challenge for him, but it seems like he's actually working with a dietician now, which a lot of of the Brazilian fighters are late to get on the the train when it comes to um, working with nutritionists for some reason. Hmm. I mean, it's all offered to them. I mean, again, and being from Brazil, it's a little different. But while you're here, all the meals are covered. Supplements are given to you. Everything's taken care of you over here. So it's it's really nice once you're here. But I think the biggest part probably for Figueredo is what he does outside of camp. So the fact that he's already, you know, made his weight um, is probably even better for him. So he doesn't get to blow up. He just manages his weight from now and gets another payday. So, I mean, coming from following his story, he didn't come from – a you know, a lot of uh, privilege. So I love to see this story. The fact that he's, you know, supporting his family, doing this sport. And 
just amazing to see when I see these Brazilians who haven't come from much, you know, really do things like he, like he's doing now. It's phenomenal. And they're viewed as heroes in their home country as well. So, uh, yeah, Figueiredo, uh, this is a big opportunity for him to just keep building his name. And I think if he gets a win here, you have to call him the fighter of the year, 4-0. The, the only issue I have with it, though, is that he missed weight for that first title fight. Like, missing weight for a title fight is not a good look. And, like, it rarely happens. It's the biggest level of, of the fight game is the championship level. If you can't make weight there, like, I, I don't know. I, I feel like there's a little asterisk in considering him the fighter of the year for that reason. Do you, do you feel that same way? How much did he miss by? I know that doesn't make by, a difference. But... I think he missed by, like, a... Here, I'll look it up. But you tell me if you think it makes a difference, and I'll, I'll see what he missed it by. Well, if... If it was a title fight and he missed weight, what happened to the title then? It went to nobody. He was 127 and a half pounds, so he was over even if he had the extra pound allotment too. 120, he was two and a half pounds over. I don't think it. Do you, do you get an extra pound? On no, title no, fights? That, that's what I'm saying. For a title fight, you don't get it. But even if it was oh, a non-title, you don't fight, get it would the have extra been pound. over. So it's not like he was over by yeah. just a little bit. He was over, over. So, I mean, I have a problem with that, honestly. Like when you when you're trying to think of who the fighter of the year is, I get it. If he wins four title fights, but one of those he wasn't able to win the title. The title remained vacant. And uh, I just think it's a bad look to miss weight for a title fight and still be considered to be the best fighter of the year. But, I mean, he's still won three other ones since yeah, that, right? That's what I so, mean. So, and like, that's probably more than anybody else. Oh, for right? sure. In terms of the title level, I think he... So I even mean, if four, you take out that one, he still has three, at least yeah. one more than everybody else. Yeah. Yeah, that's so, a good point. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, I hear what you're saying but i just think this year it's been really difficult to pick that fighter of the year i was actually reflecting on it the other day and it's it's really tough to find someone that really stood out but do you think he would be in the, like he's if he wins this title i, I think the he guy? has to i think if yeah. he wins this i i to, to be the guy i'm just is who else would you consider being close at that point i mean you got to think like is he he didn't what he has two fights two, this yeah. year and one was that romero fight where not much happened yeah um who else? Shevchenko. I'm trying to think of the champions who did anything great this Nothing year. Really. Not I many. Mean, Usman know? beat Masvidal on short notice, but that was the only title fight he had uh, in 2020. Yeah, I mean, the champions just haven't been super active. I mean, Piotr Jan's someone you can consider because he went and yeah. won the title this year. Uh, I felt if he know. maybe would have kept his fight in December, then yes. won, then he would have been, you That's know, contender. But now you can't really call him, you yeah. know. I think he only fought, what, once this year? Twice this year, I think, Max? I think twice. I think, yeah, I think he fought once before the... Uh, the title fight. I can't. Re- I can't remember if it was this year or late last year. Um, but th- then you also look at Khabib and they, just that incredible win and how he did it and overcoming that personal adversity. That's pretty cool as well. But uh, I don't know if uh, you know if he's in consideration as well. Well, what about if Shamayev uh, ends up beating Edwards? He could definitely yeah. be up there. Yeah, you could call him the fighter of the year, maybe the newcomer of the year. Like I, I would still yeah. give Figueredo more yeah, because yeah. it's four title fights um yeah i mean he's beaten you know the top guys in the entire division in one year i mean or breakout fighter of the year whatever other one could be good right. yeah, that'd be a good one yeah. for him yeah yeah, but, yeah. Uh, hey, so yeah if shamaya's beat be Leon, Leon edwards he's now like a top three welterweight in the world right like and that's a pretty big ascension as well so you might have to look at him too yeah, it could almost be fighter of the year and newcomer of the year if he's right. doing stuff like that, right? Yeah, I mean, if he so, goes in there and starches Leon Edwards in the first round, I mean, you might have to put him in the conversation for sure. Yeah, I guess you have to. I mean, you know I'm not really happy about that until he beats Edwards, so... Yeah, let's hope yeah. you don't cross paths with him. I mean, I know you you don't like the, the, yeah, the guy's confidence. Our, our, 
the hidden beef, yeah, the hidden yeah. beef we have. Yeah, he doesn't know. No, it's not the beef. I just want him to prove it. That's all I'm saying. I just want him to prove it. Be humble. Prove it to me. Be humble. Prove sit down, as me. the rap song goes. Yeah, be humble. Prove it to me, and and, and show me. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I like the confidence, but show me first. Show me, all right. and then I'll, then I'll uh, then I'll rate you. But right. uh, till then, it's it's gonna take an uh, Edwards fight for for him to prove it to me. Uh, the UFC finally made official the McGregor and Poirier fight at UFC 257. And Dana White's been saying he wants to open up Fight Island to basically to the public. I think they'd probably have to be part of pretty intense screening measures, but he wants to have a full arena for that fight in Abu Dhabi and do an international fight week in Abu Dhabi with fans, parties, everything, with uh, three fight cards in one week. Do you think that's a possibility? Well, I mean, he's proven us wrong from the beginning. So, I mean, he seems to be ahead of schedule with this COVID, the testing and putting things on. So I don't think I can doubt Dana White. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to say he the same thing. Uh, I, I'm the, I, I'm, I can't doubt him. I can't doubt Dana White after what he pulled off this year. I, I, I just yeah, can't. So. And I, you know what? The other thing about it is not only can I not doubt him, but to, to look at how the people around him have put these really intense security measures in terms of making sure that they can try to slow the spread of the virus – like, I think they're going to do, the, do it the right way. You know, like, I'm not worried that they're going to play fast and loose. You know, I saw a lot of people commenting online, oh, this is too soon, you can't do this. But if they're going to create a legitimate bubble and they're going to test people frequently, I mean, and, and they're able to keep it virus-free because I, there have not been positive COVID tests once the fighters have gotten to the island for the most part that have actually been, like, legitimate positives, not false negatives, you know? Like, so that's one thing that we kind of need to consider is that they've done the bubble correctly and they've, they've done it yeah. safely there seems to be more covid issues in vegas because i guess there's a little bit more cross-contamination where like when you're in fight island you're, you're stuck in that little bubble with everyone who's been tested i mean the issue here now which is i'm a little confused of like we just finished our quarantine today we did our 24 hours we got our test we got our little wristbands and stuff to show that we're all good to go but then they tell us now, like, oh, if you guys want to go, you can go, go eat elsewhere. I can leave the hotel now and then just come back. But then I'm like, yeah, but I don't get problem. it. Like, yeah, that's the problem. Th- that's what do that. the issue is. So I don't understand how they are allowing us to do this. Yeah. So that's what my little bit of confusion was for this risky, week. Right? We do like, get tested. You're not going to make yeah, a but sense we get if, tested you, if, again you, if Friday. Yeah. I don't know. I'm confused about that little uh, – because they're letting us go to, we can go to the grocery store if we want. The one guy was like, well, if you guys go to IHOP, I was like, we can go to restaurants and eat at IHOP and then come back to the hotel. I'm like, what are we doing here? Like, this is totally almost against what I thought we were trying to control. Who do you got and especially in Vegas, they've reduced it again. As of yesterday, I believe they had to reduce everything to 25% capacity, yeah. where when we first came last week, it was 50% capacity. So things are getting bad. The PI is really strict on appointments only scheduling no other like i haven't even been to the institute because they just want basically the fighters going in on their own who do you have in your room with you there i keep seeing a moving figure in the background oh it's a moving figure that's uh matt special one of the top 100 prospects according to mmaprospects.com in the world today matt special really yeah he doesn't that come out i don't even think he knows it hasn't come out yet but sean bitter who works on it uh, was asked which Canadians are on the list, and Matt's on the list of the top 100 prospects that are unsigned right now. All right. You want to break the news to him? Good. We can see his reaction. Tell him to come over here. I want reaction. To, I, want, well, I want to get his reaction. We're going to get your reaction here. I'm on headphones, but I'll give him a headphone. Well, that's why I wanted to. I, I figured he couldn't hear, so I wanted to tell you, and now you can break it to him. Or I can break it to him, I guess. Okay. So there's a guy oh. named Sean Bitter, Matt, that runs MMAProspects.com, and he has yeah. you ranked in the top 100 unsigned prospects in the world. 
I love it. You're one of a handful of Canadians. Ah, okay, okay. That's not bad, right? That's not bad. That's That's good for... In the world. Sure, I love it. On this planet, Earth. Damn, damn. Yeah. Three finishes, right? Yeah. And you're here, I guess, to help uh, Malcolm with the nutrition? Yeah, yeah, we're doing uh, doing the nutrition, helping him with his uh, weight cut all the way through. He hired me for the full fight camp, too. Wow. So if he misses weight, people should remember your face, and you're the guy to blame. I'm the one to blame. Put it on me. I, I like the pressure. Might as well. <laughs> All right. I like that. Yeah, I like that. That's it. Well, um, I hope you're keeping well. It's uh, it's nice to see your face. But yeah, I wanted to break that news to you. I, I saw Sean Bitter was awesome. asked which Canadians are on the list and your name was there. So I, uh, I, I met to tell Joe and now that I see your face, it reminded me. Awesome, man. Thanks a lot. Yeah, of course. Well, there All you right. go. Smile, smile, smile says UFC a thousand words. Now? Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's nice, though. I told him he's got his UFC sweater. So enjoy it because then you'll be getting your own fight kit soon, hopefully. That's yeah, the plan. Absolutely. Well, I mean, this regional scene kind of pause is, uh, is not helping anybody uh, on the regional scene. But uh, hopefully uh, things come together soon in that regard. Yeah, we need, we need something for him. I think uh, the plan was to try to introduce him to some of the, the bigger management now, like uh, uh, the Rubies and you know maybe even the, the Tysons of the world. And just to try to get them fights. With no local fights in Canada right now, it's really hard to get guys' momentum. We had four fights last year, and then coming into this year, it's kind of like we can't get anything. It's slowing us down. So we need to find promotions that will uh, let these uh, guys build their build themselves up well, a little bit more. Right now, so. it looks like LFA and CFFC are starting to bring in a lot of Canadians. So that, that's probably uh, the avenue to go down. If you see John Morgan, yeah, well, mention it to him. Because okay. He uh, is the, he's the uh, play-by-play for CFFC. Okay, well, I emailed CFFC, and uh, they fully ignored my email. Okay, well. So uh, I have to find a manager or something to go through because yeah, apparently ask John Morgan. Uh, a Bazooka Joe email address isn't enough for CFFC. So well, maybe they just uh, maybe, can't they, maybe they thought it was the guy in the gum wrapper and not the kickboxer. Yeah, maybe. Maybe that was <laughs> the mistake. I'll try again. You might have to start knocking on some doors, Joe. Yeah, I'm going to have to do something because he's ready to go. He's All ready right, to go. Yeah, I'm sure there are a lot of others uh, that are, are in that same camp in Canada. I feel bad because there were two Canadians that were on the Contender Series and they moved it to November and they couldn't get visas. So, um, you know, two, two fighters that haven't fought this entire year. So that's, uh, that's devastating for them. I mean, one is uh, Achilles Estramazoulis. I don't know his last name. I'm, I'm, it's a long last hmm. name. He's uh, out of... Uh, from? He's from, uh, I think he's out in B.C., Okay. And uh, Jamie Lynn Horthwessels, who's uh, out of BC as well. She's uh, actually married to Cole Smith's brother. So she's, but she was supposed to be uh, on it, and she's one of the top prospects in Canada as well. And uh, unfortunately, not uh, not able to fight on the Contender Series. So the Contender Series happens what twice a year? Is that how it, the series works? Uh, once a year. I mean, the only reason it was twice a year once this a year. time is because they broke it up because they went to Fight Island. Okay, so now the ne- it'll be December next year or November next year again. Um, if they were to do another contender series, yeah, along those lines. Okay, there you go. So interesting, interesting. Then we got to start planning. All right. Well, yes. Well, it's a uh, it's a pleasure having you on. It's uh, nice to see you out there with uh, with Malcolm. Uh, give us your prediction for how the fight ends. Malcolm Gordon taking on Suma Derji for the fight. Malcolm Gordon is going to be able to close the pressure, take him down, and I'm going to go with a second-round rear naked choke finish. All right. So if, uh, if you like that, uh, look up the Malcolm Gordon by submission prop and, and jump on that. 
Yeah, it'll be a good one. All right, this has Pays been the, good. This has been the TSMMA show. Uh, I look forward to speaking with you next week, Joe, when you get back and we have some fun stories for, from your experience here in Las Vegas. Awesome. Looking forward to it. He's in the main event of this weekend's UFC Fight Night card. It's Curtis Blades who will be taking on Derek Lewis. After his last fight, Curtis, Derek Lewis said he's going to take you down and beat you on the ground. Now, I know he's got a good sense of humor, but what do you think are the chances of that happening? Zero. He just likes to say ridiculous things because he knows it'll get talked about and it's good for social media. And yeah, I, it's not happening. You've wanted this fight for some time. Has it been offered to you in the past and then it just never came together? It's been discussed. I don't know about officially offered, but I think the UFC always knew that I would be like 100% into taking that fight. So it was really the ball was in his court, so to speak. And I guess after his last win, uh, we're too close in rankings. So I just, I knew, I knew it would happen. Now, the heavyweight title's only been contested, I think it's over the last two-plus years, by Daniel Cormier and Stipe Miocic, three fights in a row. Do you like that because it's given you a chance to really establish yourself as a top contender in the division and, and given you more time to evolve? I mean, it doesn't really matter if I like it or not. That's, that's just that's what happened. Like, I would have preferred that, no, I don't think anyone, any contender in any division, no matter what their age or experience, wants to sit back especially when they're that uh, close to the actual title and just sit back and watch two older guys go back and forth over and over and over. Um, but I just that was just a situation. It is what it is. It's over now, thankfully, and now I'm ready to move on. Do you feel a little bit bad for Francis Ngannou? Um... I mean, yeah, just like me. He's a contender, and he deserved. He should have already had a title shot. I, I, because I know if I were him, I would be asking for one, and I would feel like I deserve one. He deserved one. He deserves one. So, yeah, I guess as, I guess I feel as bad as any fellow contemporary in the sport can feel for another guy in a division. Now, John Jones has moved to the heavyweight division, or so he says. He's, he's relinquished the light heavyweight title, which means he's serious about it. What do you think of him facing the winner of your fight, you versus Derek Lewis, to prove that he belongs in the heavyweight division by facing a top contender? I, I think, no, I'm not doing that. Um, I want, I win this fight. I want a title shot. I'm not, I'm not going to be cannon fodder to build up someone else. I've already built up myself, and I... I feel like I've I've earned that type of recognition that I don't have to take that fight if I don't need it. That's a title fight. That's not a, I'm not fighting John Jones to prove I deserve a heavyweight title shot. That's ridiculous. But does the idea of being the first to beat John Jones not appeal to you? I mean, it does, but we're talking about money. I'm not going to fight John Jones for 200 grand. <laughs> that's that's ridiculous. I think a lot of people forget that. Like, we get paid what we get paid, regardless of who the opponent is. So I don't need to fight John Jones to make my 200 grand. I can fight a bum and make 200 grand. If I'm fighting John Jones, I want, I want that money.
So if they call you and say, hey, we're going to let you headline a pay-per-view against John Jones, we're going to pay you $400,000 to do it. Does that okay, change things? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, this is only about the money. That's, that's all it's about. So as long as the money's right, I'm down. I see what you're saying, though. I mean, if, if you can face somebody who you think is a much easier challenge for the same amount of money, uh, I mean, that's the wise yeah. thing to do for your long-term longevity in the sport. Yeah, like, I know that's not what fans want to hear, but they forget this is business. This isn't just, I don't fight for fun. I don't fight for ego. I don't fight for my legacy. I fight for money. I'm a prize fighter. After your last fight, Dana White had some harsh words to say about you. When you heard that, after a pretty dominant performance, what was your reaction to that? Uh, just Uncle Dana being Uncle Dana. He, he has emotional responses sometimes, and you can't, especially if he's talking about you specifically, you can't dig that even. I, he said what he said. I heard it. I mean, he's right. I, I envisioned... I thought I was going to smash Volkov, but then that disrespectful to Volkov. That dude's legit. That, that man is a legit heavyweight, and he earned my respect. And, yeah, I didn't respect him the way I should have entered that, that fight. So I learned a lesson, and I got to learn it in a win, which is the best way to learn a lesson, and I moved on. So those words, those weren't just words when you said that. You, you felt that you were going to walk through this guy. Um, yeah, you know, it wasn't just for promoting the fight. You actually felt that th that this was going to be a right. really easy fight for you. Yeah, I don't, I don't do that promoter stuff. Like if I say it, I believe it. I'm not going to just say stuff because I think that's what people want to hear. That's, I think that's really lame. So what do you believe happens this weekend? I believe I'm going to take Derek down. I'm going to ground him, pound him, and I get the get the finish. I like how the strategy is always the same because it's in the heavyweight division. There's no need. There's there are no people who just can't stop the take. Change it. Yeah. So, and if, again, just like I say every fight, if you don't want to watch any wrestling, well, then my bad. You probably shouldn't want to watch. You probably shouldn't be tuning into this main event because it's going to involve a lot of grappling. I was watching the sports science feature that the UFC did on you on UFC Fight Pass, and uh, they said that you hit with the same strength as like a defensive tackle in the NFL. Was that ever an avenue that you were looking to pursue when you were younger? I mean, yeah, I think every high school football player envisions himself in the NFL at one point, or at least on the collegiate level. But uh, unfortunately, I was just uh, I was a much better um, wrestler than I was. Uh, football player. I was good, but not like great. So I didn't get, I didn't get a hold on Division One offers, and that was my dream. I wanted to play D one. I could have played D two, D three, and then AB pursued the the long hard road into the NFL. But I just started to focus on um, wrestling as a collegiate athlete, and uh, in the long run, I I think it paid off. You know. All right, we look forward to uh, watching you try to move further up the heavyweight ladder this weekend against Derek Lewis, and uh, all the best to you. Thanks for all, all of your time today. Thank you, man. I appreciate it. <laughs> I'm now joined by UFC flyweight champion Davidson Figueredo. No, wait, is that Derek Lewis? You look like you've lost some pounds. You're coming into this, uh, this uh, fight a little bit lighter. Yeah, yeah. You said I'm... Um... Figueredo, or whatever his name is. Yeah, I'm a little lighter right now. So is this going to be the first time in a while you haven't cut weight for a fight? 
Um, see, I ain't been cutting no weight. I haven't cut weight in years. Okay, so so what are you weighing for this one in the 250 range? That's what you said after last fight you wanted to be for this particular fight. Yeah, I wanted to be 250 range, but right now I'm at 285. 285, okay. But well, you just told me you didn't cut weight for any of your fights, and now I'm getting Yeah, you told me I was figurator on too. <laughs> That's true. I guess I guess we're, we've both made a, a mistake, so we're even now. Uh, so this fight against Curtis Blades, you've been talking about how you're going to score the takedowns on him and beat him on the ground. Is that the strategy going in? Yeah, that's the game plan. Um, we're going to take him down, grind him out all five rounds, um, manhandle him. You know, we'll see if he could get up whenever he wants to, whenever I'm on top. Yeah. That sounds like a miserable night for him. It's going to be a miserable night. I'm sending him deep waters. So with this heavyweight division right now, there's, there's not a ton of movement. Uh, it looks like Francis Naganu's finally getting at his rematch. Uh, but where do you think this fight would put you in terms of the heavyweight picture if you get a win? Um, I don't know. Because I'm still ranked number four. Um, I'm on a three-fight win streak. The other dude, Jardinio, won one fight, and they, they put him in front of me. You know, so I don't got nothing against Jardinio or nothing like that. But the ranking does, don't mean anything. You know, a guy that's ranked number 15 right now could get the title shot right now. And... It wouldn't surprise me. So I really don't care. It really is not really bothering me. So it is what it is. You said in the past you're, you're not really that concerned with the belt. Has that changed at all over the years? Yeah, I'm really not concerned with it. But it also would bring more money, which is my motivation in this, in this game. And so, you know, I go ahead and give me the title shot. You know, give me the more money. You know, yeah, I'll do it. That's one thing you and your opponent, Curtis Blades, have in common, is that you're in this for the money. I spoke to him about uh, that yesterday. I asked him if he would face John Jones, and he says, not for what I'm making now. Uh, what are your thoughts on potentially facing John Jones next, if that was an option? I feel the same way. Not for the money that I'm making now, I wouldn't fight Jones. So what's your reason for that? Because he gave me his reason. Yeah, that's what I said. <laughs> I'll say the same thing. Not for the paycheck that I'm getting now, I wouldn't fight Jones. They would have to pay me a lot more than that. Yeah, he, he mentioned that he felt he could just take easier fights for the same amount of money rather than having to face Jones for, I guess he said, $200,000. Yeah, yeah, I feel that. This fight is one that uh, Curtis says he's been wanting for a while. Is that uh, is Curtis somebody you've had drawn eye on as well? No, not at all. Um, I like fighting exciting fighters i like calling my exciting fighters you know i don't want to pick on guys that really like to um just lay and pray on people and try to get decisions and stuff like that i like guys that go out there and try to finish and be entertaining you know that's the guys that i love to fight you know that's why i called out francis back in the days because i wanted to be um entertaining fight but which it, it turned out not to be and so um, fighting Curtis is like, I don't know, it's just like one of those fights that hopefully he comes to fight because I'm coming to fight. And hopefully that he don't want it to be a boring matchup. You know, um, Hopefully it'll be one of the um, history in the making is one of the best fights of the year. Do you feel like a fight with Francis now would be just a completely different fight? You told me, I think, in the past that you could barely even walk when you were in the fight with him the first time. Yes, yes, that's correct. Um yeah, this fight, hopefully um, the next time me and Curtis uh, Francis match up, that'd be a way better fight than it did. It was the last fight.
Uh, we owe it to the fans. We owe it to ourselves. And, you know, we got to go out there and make it right. Have you ever gone back and watched that fight? I haven't watched the fight yet. No, that's the only fight, one of the only fights I haven't rewatched. So you tend to rewatch the fights most of the time? Yeah, I usually rewatch the fights hundreds of times um, after, no matter how the outcome is. But the Francis fight is the one of the fights I didn't rewatch yet. Which fight's your Picasso? What's, your, what's the fight you're most proud of if you watch the back, you know, you watch the fights back hundreds of times? Um, the Volkov fight. Because I like the Rocky series movies. And like going into that fight, I was, I was telling my coach that it'd be awesome if I could have one of those Rocky Balboa type fights with this guy because he's from Russia and he looks he looks like Drago from um, Rocky movie. And I'm American um, and he's from Russia. So I was like the perfect ending of a Rocky movie. Yeah, it is. I mean, it doesn't get much better than that in terms of a comeback story in, in fight. Yes, for sure. So I was watching a, a bit of your backstory today, and I know that you had uh, served some time in jail many years ago. Do you feel like had you not served that time that you wouldn't be where you are right now? Yeah, I say that all the time. Um, hate to say this part, too. You know, I grew up without father, and so it's like going through a tough time like that really helped and uh, mold me into be a better man. So I felt like that if I didn't go through that situation that I wouldn't be um, – the man I am today, but you know, it's each his own. Some people, some that situation might it can make or break you, and it can make a man that go crazy and and feel like the world owes him something, and never change the way he live. And so, I, I, it changed my life, and so I just wanted to better better myself whenever I got out and just stay on that path. What was your life like back then? Like, what kind of person were you compared to how you are now? Um, back then I was just really mad at the world for no reason, really, basically. Like going out there, starting mess with anybody that, that was outside, really. Just going out there doing stupid stuff. So, you know, I regret a lot of it. Most of all of it, really. So you were the type of person that would just be, be looking for trouble, basically, at that point in time? How old were you back then? Um, I was 18. Yeah, I was just going around, just starting mess at parties, high school parties and stuff like that. And I guess you had moved to Houston, is that right, from New Orleans? Yes, I moved to Houston in 98 from New Orleans. Yeah, I was uh, 15, 14. So Houston's been home for you now for more than half your life then? Yes. And do you still have a lot of family back in Louisiana? Yeah, so all my family's still in New Orleans. That's what, about a five-hour drive, something along those lines? Yes. So do you, do you go back and visit them often? I mean, I know Thanksgiving's t- uh, tomorrow. Are you, are you planning on going home for Thanksgiving for Sunday? Um, no, I'm not. Um, in my household, we don't celebrate Thanksgiving just because the history of Thanksgiving. Okay. The American history of Thanksgiving. Okay, I'm, I'm Canadian, so I don't know... Uh, as much about that topic, but is that something that's common yeah, no. to us? Oh, yeah, you can say it's, it is common. Some people are aware of what happened on Thanksgiving. It had a lot to do with, um, like, what the Indians had to go through and the slaves and stuff like that. 
so you don't feel right about celebrating it for that reason because the back, the backstory is rooted in violence and depression. Yes, for sure. Yeah. Okay, that's interesting. Yeah, I, I, again, I don't know as much about the topic because I'm Canadian. So people have wished yeah, me happy know, Thanksgiving this it, week, and I said you're late. You're like a month late. Yeah, I know. It's it's sad that they didn't even teach that stuff in school. You know, it's a lot of stuff that they don't teach in school. You know, like Christopher Columbus, they make it seem like he was this great man, but he really wasn't. You know, if, I'm pretty sure you might not even know that even because you're from Canada. And that one I knew. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> so do, do your children ask you about Thanksgiving and why you guys aren't celebrating it? Do, do you teach them every year about why uh, you guys don't sit down for Thanksgiving dinner? My kids don't care about no holidays but Christmas and their birthdays. That's all they care about. <laughs> they don't care about no Thanksgiving. So do they already have the list for this Christmas? Oh, yeah. They made the list out two weeks ago, actually. So what, what's Derek Lewis going to be shopping for uh, after this fight? They gave me a list of things that they don't want, what we usually get them, some treasure box things that's like dinosaur eggs that they dig out and have some type of um, toy inside of it. They say they don't want that anymore because they say they always get that. So I don't know what they're going to get, maybe some scooters or something. So they gave you a list of what they don't want, not a list of what they actually yeah. want. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you got to play the guessing game for Christmas. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, hopefully you uh, you have some sort of direction on that one. That's a that's a, a tough one. Yeah, it is. It is. Um, my my kids are crazy. You know, I make them work for everything that they get, so I don't spoil them like my wife does. Well, you guys do live in the same city as uh, that Ryan's Toy World kid. Do they like the Ryan's Toy World? Oh, he's our neighbor. The Ryan's is our, he's our, um, our neighbor, and he goes to the same school my kids go to. And so my kids say that he's mean to everyone at school. So I don't want to say too much about him because he is my neighbor. Well, he's, he, he gets more <laughs> views than you do. I mean, this kid is a star. Oh, yeah, I, mean, I understand yeah, yeah. why he's mean. Yeah, yeah. He gets more. Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> I'm not in it for the views. So, I mean, do you ever think about knocking on the, uh, the door of Ryan's, of, of his dad and being like, hey, your kid's mean. I mean, he'll be, you wear the UFC hat, UFC shirt, and, you know, maybe, maybe uh, Ryan's dad will give him a talking to. Oh, no, not at all, because that's their brave winner. None of, them, none of his parents work. His mom and dad don't work. They just all depend on their kid to make their money. Well, they're running an enterprise. They've got Ryan's Toy World toys now and all this other stuff. Yeah, yeah, I know. They're doing pretty good. That's good for them. Maybe you should start a competing channel where, where, where during the show you go and you go and bother them. I like that idea. <laughs> nah. <laughs> All right. Well, I, I uh, wish you the best this weekend against Curtis Blades. Uh, hopefully it's an exciting fight. I, I know that you're going to do your best and do your part to make it an exciting fight. And we look forward to it. And I hope you figure out this Christmas puzzle. Yeah, I know. Me too. Well, um, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Always good talking to you. I'm now joined by Anthony Smith. He's in the co-main event this weekend against Devin Clark. But uh, Devin Clark's got a secret weapon. Do you know about it? I don't. What's a secret weapon? His dad, David, is in the corner screaming like a <laughs> madman during the fights. It can be very distracting. 
Oh, I love that guy, man. I, I've actually talked about it a little bit today. Uh, I always think it's real cool uh, seeing like a father and a dad, you know, combo and corner and fight. But um, that guy's always with him. I've, I've been on the road with those guys a couple of times, just fighting on similar cars, same cards. And uh, that that guy's as, as big of a supporter as anyone could ever ask for. So I always I always think that seeing those two together is pretty cool. Yeah, well, uh, David will be in his corner this weekend. I know that you and uh, Devin kind of have a little bit of experience on the same regional scene. He, he grew up near you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We we grew up a couple hours from each other. We we fought in similar shows. We've we've you know we've fought for the similar titles before. So uh, we're very familiar with each other. You keep having to fight all these people that have given you nice experiences in the in the uh, the past. Glover at the airport in Brazil, Devin. Uh, they're not making your life easy. I know, I know. You know, it, it, it's funny. Like me and me and Devin have always been extremely friendly. We've always BS with each other. We've cut weight together a couple times. Um, but honestly, I've probably had more conversations with his dad, uh, as weird as that is. Yeah, well, it's going to be an exciting fight for you and a bit of a, a step down in, in competition, no disrespect to Devin. Uh, is that what you were looking for in your next fight? Uh, not really. Uh, th- I mean, he had an opponent before, and I was looking to fight at a certain time, and um, his name came up, and you know, he was, he was available. He was ready to fight, um, and I just wanted to get back in there. So, uh you know, I, I don't know if it's necessarily a step down in competition. It's absolutely, a, you know, he's a step down as far as his ranking and stuff like that. But, uh, you know, me, man, that stuff's never really, never really affected me at all. When you take a fight like this, again, another quick turnaround, is it because having lost the fight, you don't like having that kind of marinate with you for a long time? You like getting back in there to try to get that taste out of your mouth? Yeah, I can't handle it at all. Um, my life doesn't doesn't work the same uh, if I'm not getting, if I'm not getting a positive result, it's just, I'm not happy. I can't rest. Um, I can't sleep. It, it bothers me. Um, so I'm healthy. I'm, I, I know that there's lots of questions out there about how healthy I am, where I'm at, where I'm at mentally. Um, I mean, I, I hear the chatter, like I hear everybody talking, but, uh, I'm just trying to, I'm just trying to get back on track. Um, uh, and there's nothing good that comes from just sitting around feeling bad about yourself you you just have to pull yourself back up and you get back in the gym and you just figure it out and you you run back out there i'm not losing because i'm not good enough uh you know i, I made a couple mistakes i had you know I, sometimes this game sometimes the chips just fall and and sometimes they're in your favor and sometimes they're not and i've had a string of bad luck i've had some bad circumstances i've you know i was one of the first shows that or it was the first sporting event that came back during COVID. So there, that was different. I had the break in my house. I, you know, I was banged up here and there. It just sometimes shit happens. Uh, and, and I think the quicker people realize that sometimes the, the better it will go for them. It's just, it's a crazy sport. And if your name isn't GSP or Khabib or John Jones, then sometimes that stuff affects you and, and you got to deal with it as it comes. Well, that's kind of the interesting thing about mixed martial arts is you see people make it to the Hall of Fame with like 10 plus losses on their record. It's it's just totally different from boxing where you see people pad their records and uh, eventually have a big fight against somebody who's actually equal competition to them. In the, the UFC, it's you're being uh, put in fights against people that are of equal or better level to you at all times. Every single time. Every single time you go in there. Um, I, well, I mean, obviously every once in a while there's guys that come in short notice that that aren't necessarily ready or at your level or or whatever but for the most part 
you're in there evenly matched every single time you fight. And I've been fighting at the top. I've been fighting the top five guys for like the last three years. So, um, and I've beat most of them, you know, I, I what I, I lost to John Jones and Glover Teixeira and Rakic. Like, I mean, there ain't too many people walking the planet. that are going to come out of those three encounters alive, let alone with W's, you know? So th- those are three beatable guys and, and, you know, the chips fell and they didn't fall in my direction, but I, I do a pretty good job of not letting that stuff affect me. Um, you're absolutely right. Boxers fight lower level competition, pad their records, and maybe someday fight someone that that is equal. But that's in in the UFC and M- and in MMA. That's just not how we do it. Do you have you spoken to like a sports psychologist or anything along those lines in terms of getting over losses? Because it seems like they they continue to haunt you until you're able to fight the next one. Yeah, twice a week. <laughs> since since my last fight twice a week um it's it's two hours a week of of just i don't know just managing all the stuff that goes on in my head you know it, and it's more it, it's it's more just organizing it i think you know I, I it's really just someone to throw throw all the stuff at a whiteboard and then just trying to figure out what's important and what's not and and what what do we really need to focus on and what do i need to spend less time worrying about um, I think it's been really beneficial, actually. Yeah, well, I mean, absolutely. It's brain drain. I mean, your, your brain gets all of these thoughts in there and they need to get out somehow uh, in order to really, you know, live in a, in a healthy fashion. So it's, yeah. I think that every athlete should uh, should go to a sports psychologist or something along those lines to uh, talk about the things that they can't really talk about with other people, even a coach, a uh, significant other. There are, there are certain things that you want to talk about that w- where it's kind of a judgment-free zone. And I think that that's really important to an athlete. Yeah, you know, and it's it's there's a there's a lot of sessions we've had where we don't even talk about fighting. It has nothing even to do with my competing or or any kind of competitions or even training. Sometimes I just unload, you know, and and again, like I, I, th- I think it's just such a macho thing, you know, and, and I'm guilty of it too. Or, you know, I got three kids and I have a wife and I have my radio show and the podcast and the analyst gigs and then just regular dad duties and and just stuff that just weighs on your shoulders and you you know you just don't just dump that shit all over your wife you know what i mean you don't you don't complain about it you just put your head down and go but eventually i think a lot of that stuff gets real heavy on your shoulders and you just have to offload some of that um so there's been a lot of times where i i've just felt so much better going into practices or going into you know coming into the spite week i'm just i'm free you know, I, I don't really have anything that's weighing on me. I've kind of organized all that the last seven, eight, nine weeks um, and, and just really focused on what's important and what's not. Are you a pretty restless person? Like, do you feel like you need to always have something on the go? Otherwise, you, you go crazy. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's been a that's been a tough one for me. This training camp, you know, I, uh, the people that I work with, they're, they just have so much support. So it's they've helped me a lot. You know, I've, I've cut my radio show back to an hour and then RJ covers the rest of it. I didn't even do it yesterday. RJ did the whole thing, I think by himself. Um, you know, I'm jumping on for an hour today with Misha, but that's just to BS a little bit, you know? And, um, and then I didn't take any analyst gigs this entire training camp. I mean, typically I've taken sometimes three or four analyst gigs just during a training camp. So, uh, you know, I fly out Thursday in the middle of camp and then I'm trying to train on the road on the weekend. 
uh, and do all my studying and preparation. And then I'm back Sunday and see my kids for at least one day. And then I'm back on the road to Denver on Monday. So, uh, I didn't do any of that this entire camp. I, I, I think that I just put too much stuff on my plate, you know, like I am so restless and always have to be doing something that, um, like I don't do very well just sitting around. Like I always have to have a goal. Um, so, so just down to, just down to the little stuff, like, you know, like I, I know that this winter is going to be tough. So I've had like my management team working on stuff and my just like stuff to keep me busy, but there's like, that's positive. That's not just, you know, jumping back in and fighting again or, or whatever. So, uh, I've definitely done a better job of figuring that stuff out and trying to find ways to stay busy without doing too much, if that makes any sense. So when you get a win here, and I say that to all fighters because I don't want to weigh you down with ifs and whatever, all kinds of questions. Uh, are you hoping to take an extended time off now that you'll have gotten that bad taste out of your mouth? Uh, I don't really have a plan. You know, I, I, I just kind of want to get through this one. You know, I, I think I do that too much. I think I look forward too much and and have all these plans. And when it doesn't go the way it's supposed to go, then my life is in shambles. So uh, I'm just kind of just doing this one at a time. So. The only plan I have, uh, to be honest with you, is to pull my razors into my garage. Uh, for the wintertime, I'm going to completely tear them down, uh, and I'm going to do a bunch of crazy stuff to them, and they're going to look completely different when they come out of the garage. It's the only plan I have for the winter. And just uh, spending Christmas with your family probably in the cards as well? Yeah, yeah, I'm really excited for that. Um, you know, I, I tend to fight either like like the weekend of – thanksgiving a lot you know it's like the fifth or sixth time i've done this so that's not a huge deal i have a you know my we're gonna do our thanksgiving uh sunday when i get home and then christmas we got this trip plan we've been doing this real cool thing where we kind of have a small family uh at least as far as like me and my wife so we don't have this big huge family where there's a hundred people there and kind of the world's crazy anyway so um the last three years we've kind of done destination stuff and it's not as crazy as it sounds not like we're going to different countries and stuff but um we just try to find little cool places to go for christmas and we take my mom and and we just go hide out somewhere for christmas so i'm excited for that i always thought it would be cool if you just go on airbnb you find any random city in in america or or wherever and you just live that life for like a week you just see what it's like to live in a different place yeah that's what we've been doing uh last christmas we did houston texas and i had a little bit i have fan i had family there so that was cool uh, the one before, uh, we did Colorado. And then this year, we're doing Leeds, South Dakota. So that'll be fun. There you go. So, And how far away are you? Do you li- did you grow up from there? You're from South Dakota, if I recall. No, no, no. no. I'm from Nebraska. Leeds, South Dakota is like 10 hours from me. Um, I actually ride. Uh, we go up there a couple times a year. We ride razors up in the mountains and, and ride the trails. Uh, and then one time, we stayed in this Airbnb, and it was like by a ski like a ski resort and i was like skiing so let's go to so we just like wrote it down and just kept it and we're like let's check this out over christmas so we're just gonna go back cool that sounds like a lot of fun i i think that i think devin's from south dakota is that where i'm getting confused yeah yeah he's from sioux falls okay yeah because i remember uh if i recall you fought on the sioux falls card and it was like somewhat close to your home no he fought he fought on the sioux falls card uh, I believe that was his UFC debut. He fought Alex Nicholson, I believe. This is Mike Perry's buddy. Okay, and you were going to fight um, on the Lincoln-Nebraska card, and that one got canceled because of COVID or something along those lines? Right, right. Okay. Now I'm piecing this all together in my, in my 
distorted brain. Well, I, <laughs> I appreciate your time. It's the co-main event yourself and uh, someone you're very familiar with, Devin Clark. Uh, bring earplugs so you don't hear Dev, uh, David during the fight. He'll be screaming, and uh, you got to block that stuff out. It's, uh, it can be very distracting. It's distracting for me as a viewer, but I think David Clark has been one of the stars of this year in this pandemic era where you have empty arenas. I think so. I, I mean, you're definitely not going to miss anything that guy says, but anytime any, you, you even go back and watch uh, one of Devin's fights, it's crazy because the only thing you can hear is his dad. So, uh, again, I think I think that is so damn cool. Uh, just coming from a, a guy that didn't have a dad growing up, uh, I think that's one of the coolest coolest little stories in, in, in the UFC, just him and his dad and his dad screaming like a madman. Uh, I, I just I think that's so damn cool. And hopefully Mark's been practicing his his yelling so that he can project his voice above David's. Oh, we're coming out with a megaphone. Mark Mark Montoya gets a megaphone so I can at least hear over Devin's dad. Like the mouth of the South Jimmy Hart. <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> I like that idea. That that works for me. Uh, well, thanks for this, Anthony, and best of luck this Saturday. All right, man. Thank you. It's nice to see Robin Black's face as we discuss the two-part series you did for SportsCenter uh, about the anniversary of No Moss and Ruben Duran. How did this idea come, come about? So uh, Jason Palter is um, senior, um, I guess, executive producer. He's, he's one of – there's so many cool people at TSN, and TSN is this cool umbrella where some people have to or get to or, or however you want to look at it, do a lot of work. Jason's one of these guys. Um, uh, for people who are curious about how, you know, big projects will come about, somebody will say, hey, I got a cool idea. Often it's you or me or, or whoever, but sometimes it's, you know, um, it's a senior producer. In this case, it was Jason. And at first, you know, you discuss an idea like that and you, you say, is this compelling to me? Like, and will this be compelling to other people? And uh, the idea that 40 years later, Roberto Duran, one of the great uh, champions ever, people still will talk about the night he said, you know what, forget it. I don't, I don't want to fight this this guy anymore tonight. And that that's really compelling. That's a really interesting starting off point. I'm always interested in, to me, fighting, like a lot of things, is the mind, you know, whatever, I throw a punch, I drink a coffee, whatever, my mind made me do that. So the deeper Jason brought it up, the deeper we got into it, we started talking about George St. Pierre and becoming the greatest ever and, and attributing that to one night where he wasn't able to continue. Um, and then, you know, um, Matt, young Max, who, um, who uh, retired in between rounds in a UFC fight recently and how people reacted to that. And we knew we had something interesting. I don't think we realized it was going to be like how big it, well, it became, but it was a really cool project. And the process of building a thing like that is really exciting. And we even saw Shogun tap to, to strikes uh, this past weekend, which, I mean, mm. I, I said after that fight, like, there's no way Shogun's last fight could be him tapping to strikes in an empty building. Like, it's just, it's, yeah. it's not the way it should end yeah. for Shogun. No, no, it's not. Um, what I did find interesting was how little backlash from anybody, you know, that's of importance to Shogun, anyone that Shogun would would consider, you know, their opinion important, how nobody seemed to have a negative response to that. And I think that's a really good thing. If Sho uh, you, you make a great point. If Shogun can tap to strikes then why can't any human say i cannot continue let's let's save it for another day 
Well, there's also a stigma about tapping to strikes. P- people tap to different chokes, submissions, knee bars, mm-hmm. arm bars, whatever, any sort of submission attack. But when it comes to strikes, there's this weird stigma around tapping to strikes, even though you're probably in a position where the only thing that's going to happen from there is taking more strikes. Like if you're about to tap the strikes, in your mind, you're like, well, I just don't want to keep taking these unanswered yeah. strikes. The referee's not stopping it, so I've got to take matters into my own hands. And it's yeah. kind of the same thing as a submission. Like if, if, if you yeah. wait for the referee to stop it, your arm can break or your limbs can break. Yeah. And, and I don't but, know why that's more valuable than, than someone's head. Yes, but the way you phrase that is actually, and that's natural the way we would think about it as we watch it from the outside, but that's not how it's proceeding in your head. You're not thinking my arm could break. I better tap or I will take more strikes and the ref isn't stopping it. Like you don't have that level of conscious thought. You are behaving much more in the primitive part of your brain. Um, You know, the amygdala is this part of your brain that, that, that reacts to things instinctively. The prefrontal cortex is the part of your brain where you think things like, geez, I better tap to this because I'm going to take more strikes than the ref is thinking. Generally, in those moments of true, like, I got to get out of here, there's not that level of conscious thought. And we went, we got to dig into some of those aspects too. My, you know, I'm, I'm good friends with Dr. David Klonsky, who's a, a, a psychology professor at the University of British Columbia and a martial artist and a friend. And so we brought him in to kind of discuss some of those aspects. And my friend David Mullins, who is a sports psychology consultant, and we tried to look at it with science and expertise uh, to really figure out what's happening. But you're right, the stigma aspect is, I mean, we all make judgments of things. And if we watch a hundred hours of football or fighting or you know, hip hop or whatever, we feel like we have some applicable knowledge of it, but we don't understand it. So when we, when we apply our, our judgment or a stigma, it's not in reality. My, my judgment, if I've never fought, of somebody's tapping to strikes is actually not really anything like the process that they're, they're going through themselves. Um, so we've tried to explore all these things, you know, um, and, uh, and explore them outside of only sport, but to like the human nature. And, the, and it was really, it, I'm really proud of the piece. I loved working with Jason and Sam and, and the people on it. It was big and it was scary. And it was heavy. And all of a sudden you have four hours of interviews and you don't know how you're going to cut them into pieces to make sense of it. But it, but I, it was a really cool, really cool project. And that's the worst part about doing these big projects is you have to leave great stuff on the cutting room floor. Like even when you guys did your 30-minute show, uh, which ended up being, I guess, 22 minutes with commercials uh, about George St. Pierre, you guys had so much gold that we had to sit on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That was, I guess, three years ago now. That was when I first came to TSN and uh, I've told lots of people you mentioned before, but you were the one who recommended me to come work at, at TSN to, to the vice president. And that was one of the first projects I worked on. And same thing. Yeah. You're traveling around literally with George St. Pierre to LA and New York and, and training with Freddie Roach and, you know, sitting and talking to him about his hopes and dreams and fears and anxieties. And you do that for weeks and then you make 22 minutes of it. Um, but uh that's how that's how these television pieces, collages, pieces of art, storytelling, whatever you want to call it, that's how they're made. Now you've been doing a lot of that for Bellator recently, and you know, a couple of weeks ago, I was on a show on MMA fighting, and I said that Bellator got off to a rough start when they resumed. I felt like they didn't get any momentum. I felt like a lot of things weren't going their way, 
and you know fights were getting canceled. I felt like the main events didn't deliver. This last card that they did was one of the best cards they've ever done, and their momentum is is surging right now. Uh, that featherweight tournament is designed to be a massive yeah. success, and it has been a massive success. And the the great thing about it is like whatever happens from here is going to be great because you got McKee ready to go. Sanchez looks amazing and yeah. looks like somebody yeah. who, in this rematch with Pitbull, can get it done. And then the, yeah. the other thing I was thinking about today is like if Sanchez does beat Pitbull, the winner of that fight's going to face Pitbull anyways. Like the winner of, of yeah. So we're still going to see whatever matchup yeah. we want to see. You'd have to imagine that's the logical next step. If Pitbull loses to Sanchez, Sanchez loses or wins against McKee, you're going to see the Pitbull face the winner of that fight anyways. So AJ is pretty obsessed with fighting Pitbull and proving something by fighting Pitbull. So if somehow, and Sanchez, Sanchez would look brilliant and he's special and he's a different kind of special. He's like a, a drive and heart and commitment and do what's necessary to become greater than he is to win kind of guy. Uh, you know, and I love watching that guy fight. I do. I, um, uh, but, uh, so if he defeats Pitbull and whether AJ defeated him or not, all of a sudden you have somebody new, somebody meaningful, somebody who beat the guy who beat Chandler, who's at that level in the UFC, you know, um, or, and, and if that happens and it happened to be AJ who won, he would go hunt for Pitbull at 155. He 100% would. Uh, there is a lot of momentum. I think there's, I think some of the big things when you're in kind of deep in Bellator that you see that are the most meaningful things are not what we are seeing as the viewers or the consumers or the, the, the storytellers around it or the analysts or the journalists or whatever, but what the fighters are seeing. I think the most important accomplishment the, that Bellator has done is that if you are a 17-year-old or a 19-year-old hotshot uh, who's going to be something – you believe Bellator is a very legitimate path for your career and that winning a world title there will mean something to you. That wasn't felt or consumed or believed to a young fighter five years ago, but it is now. And that's the biggest thing that Bellator has accomplished. Um, is, and that's, that's huge. You, I'll see that as being up real close right now. That won't be seen or discussed or necessarily like a mainstream piece of knowledge for three or five years. But if you're paying attention, Patrick Mix and AJ McKee and then JJ, who was on that show, who beat Claxton and Claxton and all these guys, these are, if you know fighting, uh, these are real prospects. These are top 10, top five, top one guys at 29 years old. And they were like, Bellator is where I want to make my career for whatever reasons. Uh, the, the structure of the company, the internal structure of the company, is highly desirable to fighters. Uh, a lot of them, most people don't realize this, but if you're an 8 no stud, uh, you're going to get probably triple pay in Bellator of what you'll get with a UFC deal and quadruple if you went in through the contender series. So it's, there are whole camps of 20-year-old fighters and their coaches who are like, this is the route for you. And when you're 26, Bellator will be much bigger um, contextually than it is now. And it's a good place for, for you to go and, and become a world champion and make a, a big living. And, and young fighters believe that. And that's massive. Yeah, and, and you don't even mention Aaron Pico, who I still think is a top five yeah. prospect easily He's in a the genius. World. Yeah, I mean, he's brilliant. The, the, the weird thing about it is, like, I feel like Coker has struck out on a lot of them. You know, when Ed Ruth joined, I was like, this guy's going to be a future champion. Look at his reach. Look at his wrestling pedigree. With Pico, I thought, wow, this guy, like, the sky's the limit with him. Yeah. And it still is. 
but it I, is. Feel, I feel like it's taken a while for that one kind of transcendent prospect to break yeah. through, and it looks like McKee is that guy. I, I, was McKee signed in the Coker era, or was he signed by Rebney? Because I found that Rebney had signed, like, if you look in the history of Bellator, you look at Pitbull, you look at Chandler, you yeah. look at a lot of these guys, those were like Rebney-era yeah. guys. Yeah, and a lot did. of these yeah, Coker-era guys yeah. never yeah. got the steam that they needed yeah. to get, and there's, there's of course, yeah. still time. But that's that's always been yeah. my criticism of the Coker era. Is like it seems like early on he was fixated on bringing in kind of older guys, like in, and he yeah. still kind of is bringing in like the Ryan Baders. He's no. headlining with Manhope, well, but it looks like that's kind of they're, changing they're now. Pub- yeah, they're publicly saying now, you know, we love Anderson Silva, but that's not our that's not our route anymore. If you think about like, you know, I know Scott enough to like chat with him and know he's a kind man who's very intelligent who knows what the fuck he's doing. That's as well as I know him. You know, I work closely with all kinds of people within that company, but I don't hang out with Scott Coker on a regular basis. But I watch the man and I study the man and I analyze what he's doing. And Rich Chow is a very close friend now. I talk to Rich a lot and I like him very much. He's a a, a, a real, true martial arts friend. Uh, and Kogan, who is brilliant and devious. And that's their that's their crew at the top. And they know what they're doing. If you look at it. So if we if we projected that in 2025 they would increase their market share their consumption their their quality of fighters by a a substantial amount we would look back and go in 2018 you could see that the moves were get these young fighters in 2016 the moves were we can't we need to attract enough attention to get these young fighters so if we get some chails and leotos and you know we can do and you if you reverse engineer the plan back to fedor and rampage it makes sense we need to exist to exist, we need whatever we can get. While we're existing, we need to attract prospects. When we attract prospects, we need to help them develop, find a way to develop them. And prospects is is math. I hate saying that, uh, because but it's true. Um, this is not from anybody deep in Bellator. This is, again, my analysis of what I think when I watch, no, not inside information, uh, watch from the inside. But... Um, Everybody at Bellator loves Michael. I'm going to use Michael Chandler as an example. Everybody at Bellator loves Michael Chandler. I fucking love Michael Chandler. Um, he's, he's a brilliant fighter. Um, if Michael Chandler and, and an offer comes in from the UFC that Bellator could and has the money and has the option to match, and they did not. Why? Not because they don't love Chandler, not because he's not brilliant, but because let's just invent a number. $2 million. Michael Chandler is going to be $2 million a fight. Well, we can get five of the best prospects on planet Earth at 40,000 to fight right now and, and keep paying them up. They'll make 8,000 in contender series or whatever. We can pay them 40. We can show them we're invested in them. Of those five, if one of them becomes a top five guy and one of them becomes a really fascinating star, uh, is that better than having signed you know, Mike, who's been a massively accomplished guy and still has, yes, the belief is that it is. That would be my observed strategy from watching from the inside without, you know, people telling me the direct strategy. But if you look at it, that's what it seems to be. And it makes sense. You can get five Picos. You can get a Pico, a, uh, a Claxton. You can get a... Um, uh, a uh, Tyrell Fortune, Ed Ruth. For, exactly. Guys, yeah. Exactly. You got five of them. One of If one of them becomes... Chandler or more, uh, and two others become important, you have done better. Like you have done better for your objectives. Uh, but to do so, you have to give up one of the great fighters in the world. That makes me sad. Uh, 
if you could do both, they would be better. But but there are limitations to every business, just like there are limitations to every choice you make in anything. And maybe they talk to Michael Chandler, who they respect. And Michael Chandler says, you know, I really feel like my career won't be fulfilled until I can test myself in the UFC. And they say, okay, yeah. well, you've got a yeah. blessing. That, because that can happen as well. Yeah, 100%. And that – I'm delighted to get to analyze the UFC for the Canadian broadcast partner, TSN. So – you know, there's a certain amount of me being, you know, not wanting to overly compare apples to oranges in a way that's rude or negative or whatever. Um, but the way the companies work are very, 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 very different. And I have w worked a little bit inside both. Um, it is important to to the people at Bellator, to, to Coker, to Kogan, to Rich, to the rest, that this feels that you want to be there that you are happy, that you're part of something. When you see Juan Archuleta on Instagram uh, and he's watching Bellator or talking about Bellator, he's fucking cheering for Bellator in ways that you don't see the average UFC athlete do. And that's not a good or a bad thing. That's just part of the internal structure. When, you know, people who, the UFC is large. McDonald's is large and Nike is large and Coca-Cola is large and Budweiser is large. That's a different type of business. It's run different. Your experience of working in it is different than if you work for a craft beer company, than if you work for, you know, Tom's Shoes, right? And this is like that. And that's part of why there are there are young prospects that'll be the, that are right beside. I mean, Volkanovski and Pitbull, if you know anything about fighting, you know that that's a at the very least, an even fight. You know, if, if you look at Vadim Nemkov, who just knocked out Ryan Bader, and you look at who um, Jan Bakovitz, you know that that's an even fight. These are, uh, uh, but again, the challenge for Bellator, or a challenge for Bellator, will be the perception created by the marketing of the big company. The average fighter, the average kid, literally goes online and sees uh, AJ McKee breakdown and go, how would he do if he gets called up to the UFC? It's like, these are just brands. AJ McKee can beat any single person in the UFC and they could beat him. They just happen to work for different brands. One works for Coke and one works for Pepsi or Nike and Adidas or whatever. It has nothing. There is no level because of one brand or the other. That's marketing. That's just marketing. And, th and that message has reached fighters and coaches for sure. Uh, and it reaching fans is, is another part of, of the attempt that you know Bellator does growth wise. Yeah, and, and you know when Pitbull ended up winning that fight um, in the way that he did against Carvalho, I said there's just no question that this guy's a top ten pound for pound fighter in the world. And I hate pound for pound. Yeah. I'll preface it by saying I, yeah. I hate pound yeah. for pound. It's weird. Idea. And um, but I, he's just an amazing fighter, and I, I think that he could become a three division champion. Like he's basically, I think he could make bantamweight. And he fought like Ben yeah. Henderson, who fights at 170. Like he he can fight from anywhere from 135 probably to 170 and be competitive against anybody in four divisions. Yeah. Like how many people can you say can do that? Mm -hmm. I, there's maybe one. Like it might be he might be the only guy yeah. that you could say would be able to be competitive in four different divisions. Yeah. Um, and I yep. mean he's never really fought at 170, but he's fought against bigger guys. He's fought. Yeah. So I mean, but yeah. yeah, Pitbull is just he's an anomaly for sure. And um, yeah. I, and Gegard Musasi is the same. Gegard Musasi is Musashi, the same. No, Musasi you know, couldn't are... make 170. Like Musasi has to fight at 185, 205, or heavyweight. I think he fought heavyweight. Yeah, I think like, he has fought. Yeah, heavyweight maybe in, in Japan. Fight. And I think yeah. he could compete at yeah, heavyweight. Yeah. But like, yeah. I'm talking about a yeah. guy that could actually make weight in four divisions. And I think yeah. Pitbull could yeah. actually make weight in four divisions and do that. Yeah. 
there's so pitbull this this goes back to actually what i think is so interesting about talking about prospects and stuff is pitbull young anybody who was aware at the time it was had you know the ability to assess and then project uh, which people that is a skill people have in football and hockey and and you know folk music there there you become specialized in the ability to assess what it is and then using your experience be able to potentially project possibilities um if you looked at pitbull you would have said that the, the heart and the grit and the intensity and the passion and the instinct to just attack at the right times how much power he was able to energy he was able to generate with movement all of these things you were like fuck this guy's real what you wouldn't have been able to project is how much his touch and finesse would have been able to develop. Uh, nobody would have projected that if they did. I mean, that would have been uh, incidental. I don't think you you have the ability to do that. But what that comes from is time, like just time. He's only, what, 32 or something crazy. Yeah. And you look at how much time he's had, and there's a bit of luck that has to happen when you have somebody who has the potential to be that great their life experience and the environment they came up in to make them that great. The raw materials, the right coaching is some amount of good fortune, but also you need some luck that they don't get badly injured. Some of that is controllable through rest, and but he works super hard. So you would think he would have gotten badly injured some point, which would stop the amount of volume of hours he could train and fight to get this type of subtlety to be this good. Um, but he did it. And he has done it, and he continues to do it. The fight with Juan Archuleta, you look, Juan's a genius. Juan's brilliant. Juan is a, Juan is a top five or top one bantamweight on earth, too. Um, Juan Archuleta versus Peter Jan, you know. Um, you, no, you can't, bet, you can't assess that if they fought ten times, which one would win six of the, of the ten. It's too difficult to, to be able to do. Um, and yet what he did, what he was able to do with him, with that was all skill all just pure finesse and skill and that's rare and it's cool that and it's also cool that lima and and pitbull and people like this after 10 years are getting that kind of understanding and respect from people who know fighting and they also get paid real well i don't know the numbers but i hear that bellator sat down the right people like that and said you have been a part of this and you will as long as you're here you're going to be a part of this and let's pay you like fucking crazy <laughs> and i don't know what those numbers are i don't know if they're public but i know they get paid real well now well for your sake i hope you stick around there for quite some time then uh well robin it's a pleasure speaking yeah. with you as always uh and uh enjoy your time out in edmonton and i'll talk to you again soon yeah man it was a, it was a slice thanks for hanging A big thank you to all of our guests this week. Curtis Blades, Derek Lewis, Anthony Smith, Robin Black, and of course, Bazooka Joe Valtellini. We wish Joe and his disciple, Malcolm Gordon, the best of luck this weekend as Malcolm competes at UFC Fight Night. Thanks for tuning in. We'll be back next week to break down all of the action that took place this week, everything that's going to take place next week, and beyond. Thanks for tuning in.